The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Beginning, glory be to you alone, as we just sang. We want you to be lifted up, to be honored in our midst. As we gather here to be honored in our hearts individually, you are worthy to be praised. To you belongs all glory. And then right after that, I pray, Lord, while not sharing your glory with us, while exalting your glory, by, while being radically God-centered and God-exalting, please be that. Would you also, in that, come down and touch your people to do them great good, to do us marvelous good? Would you, glorified God, be a blesser of people this morning? The people here in this room, others who may hear this, would you bless people? Would you make it seem as if, from one perspective, you are people-centered? You are not, ultimately. Finally, you are God-centered. Glory be to God alone. But in lifting up yourself, in drawing the eyes of people onto yourself, that would be great good to us. And so would you do that powerfully and wonderfully such that we think, I cannot imagine, I have not dreamed that this God is so concerned for me. And from that, would you draw out great thanks and praise? Would you build a people here this morning who give thanks with great vigor, with great frequency, not, not in form and not in, in rote repetition, but in earnest, honest expression from their hearts who are thankful and so give thanks. Seeing all that you are and all that you have done for us, all that you will be and will do for us, draw thanks from us and glorify your name. All glory be to you alone. Use the verses that we will look at this morning towards that end, Lord, and build your people and honor your name. Give me clarity and expression, Lord. There are lots of different places I could get lost and stuck this morning, so help me to, to speak clearly enough that your message would be heard and help us to hear clearly enough that your message would be heard here in all kinds of confused, stopped up ways also, and so I pray help us to actually hear your word. Lord, if there is sin in our midst and sin in individual hearts or sin on us corporately, would you bring that to mind right now and move us to repent even in this moment and to turn away from it and thereby clear the path along which you can run to us to lift us up. I pray, Lord, own this time. Bless your people and honor your name. Glory be to you alone. Amen.
We turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 4 once again, and we'll consider the well-known passage that we looked at last week, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We dealt with this in their, its proper context last week. We looked at how Paul lays out uh, some brief closing statements of, of command as he's concluding his book here, kind of a common way that he ends lots of different passages. And, and we looked at three basic commands. He calls his people, calls the people of God to rejoice always, to live with a gracious demeanor towards all, and to turn from anxiety to peace, resting in God. It was the basic structure of the passage last week, our main points. <coughs> Pardon me. And in concentrating on the last one, we know that the command is what drives verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious. It's, that's, that's the command that drives us. So it's not really about prayer. Although prayer shows up, prayer rises out of the passage. But prayer is in service to the main command. Prayer, laying our requests before God, is how we heed the command to not be anxious but to turn to, to Him in, in no peace. So prayer is not the main point. And so then, neither is the modifying phrase with thanksgiving. You see that right there in verse 6, 7. Verses 6, supplication with thanksgiving. That's not the main point either. That's, that's not even the secondary point. It's modifying the secondary point beneath the main point. Nonetheless, God does teach something implicitly and explicitly here about thanksgiving and thankfulness, and because Thursday is Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to hang out here for just a little while longer in this passage and look again at 6 and 7 to see what it is that God might say to us about thankfulness or gratitude, other ways that that root word can be translated, thanksgiving, thankfulness, gratitude. What might God say to us about that this morning? What I'm going to do is I'm going to essentially lift that little phrase out of the passage, consider the, the concept, and then at the end put it back in to help us understand, maybe in a new light, how it helps us to turn from anxiety and to rest with God and, and to know His peace. And then I'll help us think through it finally at the closing, help us think through different ways, different things we can and should be thankful about. Let's take a little bit different tack this morning. I'm not, a, not advancing in the text, not even dealing with this passage in its context, but I'll start here, talk about a bunch of different passages, and maybe help us to be worshipers and thankful people. And my goal here, a little bit as I prayed, my, my goal here is that as I'm looking at the people of God here, I've said I don't know everybody here, but I look at you and I'm, my goal is more than that you would understand the concept of or realize the theology behind thanksgiving, but that you would actually be thankful. Because that's an awesome thing. We talked about last week, how these commands are, they are commands, but they are commands that are the best life possible. How wonderful it is that God commands us to rejoice. What a sweet command. That God commands us, don't be anxious, but rest in peace. What a sweet command. That God commands us, deal with people in a gracious way. What a sweet command. Here we're going to find another one that is a requirement of God, a calling on us that is wonderful to experience and walk in. Thanksgiving and thankfulness. That's my hope, is that you would do more than just understand, but that you would actually be 
you would experience this. So here's where I'm going this morning. Let me put it in a sentence before I read just this passage again to kind of set our minds fresh on the context. Summarized, here's, here's my point this morning. The gospel-created, hyphenated, the gospel-created ability to give thanks always is a sweet gift from God to His people. The gospel-created ability to give thanks always is a sweet gift from God to His people. So we're going to work towards this morning. I'm going to read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 once again. As I said, to set the context. But really, most of the Scripture verses I'm going to talk about are scattered elsewhere in the Bible. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Make three observations on this topic of thanksgiving. The first one is this. Using language similar to what I used last week, because, well, I pointed out, it's not a command. It is just as much what God calls us to, what God expects of us, so I'm going to use the same language I used last week. God calls us to live lives of thanksgiving. God calls us to live lives of thanksgiving. Somebody could get that light right there, that would be helpful. The command of verse 6 is, do not be anxious. Notice this. About anything... Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So this is very absolute. We noted this last week. Paul's addressing all of life. We're called to move from anxiety to peace, as verse 7 tells us, in all of life. and We do that by praying so that every need, every supplication, every request is laid before him. And the attitude in all that is with thanksgiving. So just as the no anxiety, just as the praying is absolute in all of life, so is the thanksgiving. This thanksgiving is also all lifelong in everything. That's implied by what God calls us to in verse 6, to pray in the midst of not being anxious always about everything. It's implied there and it's explicit elsewhere. Consider the very similar passage that concludes 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, similar section to what we see here, similar commands. He says, rejoice always, sound familiar? Pray without ceasing, sound familiar? Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Then there's Ephesians 5.20. Jot that one down. This is one piece of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, which is a requirement, a, a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And one piece of what that looks like, he says, 520, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit-filled Christian is a thanksgiver. Always. 
in everything. Parallel passage in Colossians 3, verses 15, 16, 17. Each one of those verses mentions thankfulness and thanksgiving. We're commanded to be thankful in verse 15, to speak and sing with thankfulness in our hearts in verse 16. And then finally, whatever we do, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, whatever we do. So what Paul clearly implies in Philippians, he explicitly commands elsewhere. God calls us to live lives of thanksgiving, not just on one Thursday in November. Always. In everything. In every circumstance. For whatever happens in whatever we do. That's the language of the Bible, and it's very wide. Which is at least puzzling, if not troubling. That's God's will for his, for his people. That's quite clear. It's in the Old Testament too. It's in the Psalms all over the place. It's a basic mark of a Christian. The normal expected stance of us, if we are to be spirit-filled and to walk with God, we're to do so with thanksgiving. And that is at least troubling, confusing, and probably troubling because as we... Our basic posture, I'm supposed to be standing here looking up, thankful. But come on. I'm standing here hip deep in stuff. Thankful? I mean, if I, and the reason I went through all those verses, rather than just reference them, I read them. So that you can hear the repetition of always, all circumstances, everything, whatever you do. If it was just be thankful by itself, we might in some way rationalize that and think, okay, well, I get that what he means is, I get, I'm thinking, I'm understanding. What he means is on the sunshiny days. Have a general posture of thanksgiving. Of course, not when Stuff happens, but you know, generally be a positive people. That's what he means, right? No. Unfortunately, no. Comma. Fortunately, no. Always in everything, whatever happens in every circumstance, thanksgiving is the posture of the Christian. We need to think about that. Because that is a big question. We need to think about that. Two things we need to think about. One, first, we need to realize that is so because it is right. And we cannot say less than that. We have to say that. It is right. And then, secondly, we immediately run on to because it is sweet, very precious. First, because it's right. At the heart of thankfulness. God, God calls us to that. God speaks down to His creation, to you, and calls you to it, requires us of you, because it is right. At the heart of thankfulness, giving thanks in any situation, 
whatsoever, is a recognition that I had a need that someone else outside of me met. I had a shortage, I, I had a need, I had a gap. I had some space that someone outside of me filled. It's helpful, needed. And there's an internal understanding. Gratitude starts with that internal understanding of that's what happened, and I appreciate it, and I honor that one who stepped into my need to meet it. I, I honor, I, I say thank you, and in so doing, I temporarily, at least in that moment, put myself humbled beneath. I had need that you met. If, if I don't say that, I did not have need, I met it myself. That, that's me not coming beneath you. But when I say, I had need that you met, I step under and honor the one who gave. That's in any situation where you give thanks. I needed and you came through and God calls us to that, calls for that from us always and in everything because that is precisely the type of attitude we should always have towards him in everything. Every single thing that I have, every single thing that you have has come from him. There is nothing in your hands, nothing in your life that came from you. Life and breath and everything. The fact that there is a creation, that we are of it and in it, that it works at all, even in its fallen, sin-cursed way, that we live, that our bodies draw breath, that we have muscles and minds that work, that we can subdue the earth and bring forth from it food and offspring and any pleasure and any desire fulfilled in any way whatsoever. All of that is a gift, and all of it is sustained moment by moment by the constant gift of God. We are a people who live in need, and He constantly gives to meet that need. It is all sustained by Him, and it is right that we give thanks to Him, and thus order our relationship with Him like this, humbled beneath Him, looking at need. I am need-defined, and He is giver-defined. And in that very moment, how completely, as we see just how completely that need and giver covers all of the creation, in that very same moment we see just how completely the indictment of God covers all of humanity. Romans 1.21 says that though God has made himself clearly known, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. Knit right into the human heart is the refusal to do that. Which is wrong. Which is wrong. Fallen humanity rejects the order and denies the honor and refuses the humble dependence all the time, constantly, even on Thanksgiving Day. Thursday, the nation is going to be full of people gathered around tables, many of them honoring him with their lips, but with hearts far from him. So it is clear 
that one large reason that God wants thanksgiving, true thanksgiving in all people, is God's desire to have God be in the rightful place and to have us be in our rightful place. It is right. We cannot say less than that. But that should come to us, and you can probably hear it in my tone, that that should come to us like law comes to us. And as an aside, the law is good and right, and we should not discard it and should not downplay it. We should not minimize it. We shouldn't curse the law. The law is good. It is from God. And how it should come to us is to say, that is right. And if you get that, you see suddenly what explodes is, oh my word, the fallenness of man and the indictment of God is vast and his indictment of us is right because how thankless am I, are we? Law comes and points out sin and points out need for a Savior to forgive sin. That is right. We cannot say less than that. And sweetly, gloriously, wonderfully, we have more to say than that. But don't miss the first point. The massive scope of humanity's rebellion is seen in our thanklessness. In our thanklessness. In our assumption that is so self-centered and so self-exalting that we rarely think of giving thanks in all things and really feel legitimized in asking, why should I give thanks right here? I imagine that from another perspective, it seems incredibly foolish and ungrateful to ask, why should I give thanks? Because everything you you stand there speaking with lips that are given, with breath that's given. We see our fallenness and see our need for a Savior when this rightness of thanksgiving comes forward. He calls us to live lives of thanksgiving because it is right. And there is more to say, thankfully. It is also wonderful and sweet. So feel the, the tone change here. And, and in your minds, put, put in the tone change here. The first one should be right. It should have the feel of law, which is good and okay and fine and should point you to Christ humbled as a sinner. You cannot say less than that, but we must say more. And the second, turn the tone here in your mind, and I'll try to turn it with my voice, but turn the tone to something sweet. It is His goodness Not only His righteousness, but His goodness that calls us to this posture of thanksgiving. This attitude that we want to live in and experience. Just as much as we want to rejoice, just as much as we want to know no anxiety, just as much as we want to live in ways that that create human connection, 
We want to live. We desperately want to live thankful with the feeling. What is that? It's, it's the internal recognition, as I was saying, the recognition that I have need and it is met. That there is a meter, there is a giver, and I have these gaps, these holes, that while they might be anxiety-creating and frightening, there is one right on the other side of it that is constantly meeting them and filling up the holes and, and closing the gaps. I'm not saying that we really want to give thanks as some formal thing. I'm saying we want to feel thankful. The delightful attitude of reckoning yourself blessed. Don't you love standing somewhere and saying, I am so blessed. And not just because you have to, but actually meaning it. Isn't that a delightful feeling? I, does it bring you to tears sometimes when you realize how blessed you are and thanksgiving just rises up out of you? You want to be in that place. It is so far superior to feeling screwed. And yes, I use that word. Some people think that's a bad word. But I use it because that's what goes through your minds. I'm ripped off. I'm getting the short end of the stick. I'm used abandoned, forgotten, left in the stuff I'm hip deep in. You want to feel, I'm so blessed. Thank you. And that's exactly what God calls you to. When you see yourself in that light, it is a good and pleasant feeling. It's what God wants for us. And it's possible because of what he's done in the gospel. And that takes us to the second point. God, here's the second point. God in the gospel has created the sweet ability for us to give thanks always in everything. That's what we want, to be able to give thanks, to be thankful, have gratitude-dominated hearts. And in the gospel, God has created a sweet ability to live that life. To give thanks always. We're to give thanks always like we should and like we want to. We need to think hard about the gospel and then take our thoughts, take ourselves in hand and by faith embrace the truth about what God did when he saved you. I'm not saying that we are to deny pain or deny hardship or sorrow or evil, pretend that it doesn't exist. No. And I'm not saying that we are to engage in some sort of grand distraction. Think about the gospel so that you forget the hardship, the pain. Now, there's something true and important in that point about changing your focus, changing what you think about. If you keep looking at, keep looking at, keep looking at that which is terrible and awful and evil, you are feeding your mind with that which will destroy you. 
So there is, there is much truth, much value in turning your thoughts to think about positive things, but I'm not exactly talking about that this morning. What I'm getting at, what I want us to think about, is seen in a couple different passages. I'll use two. One you're probably more familiar with and one maybe a little less familiar. The less familiar one first. Think about Colossians, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 and 22. You can turn there and look at it if you want to. You don't have to, though. In that context, Paul has been dealing with the church's tendency, that church there in Corinth, their tendency to value and follow and lift up one Christian minister over another. Following Apollos, following Cephas, following Paul. And Paul had said earlier in the chapter, why? We're all God's servants. I planted Apollos waters, God gives the growth. We're all God's servants given, used by him for the purpose of building up the church. We have different roles. I do one thing, Apollos does another. God uses both to cause growth in the church. That's the point. God causes growth in the church using these various things, both of which are given to you. So then he, still on that idea, verse 21 says, So then, no boasting in men. Don't boast in Apollos or Paul. And then watch where he goes with this. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Point widens immediately, vastly. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, like you've been saying. Each of us are your servants, given by God for your building up. So watch this. All things are yours, whether these men who are your servants, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. What's not included there? So that's why he concludes, all are yours. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. God the Son is in the hand of God the Father. You are in the hand of God the Son. And everything out there, these men, yes, they're your servants given by God to build you up, and so is the world, and so is life, and so is even death itself, and so is what's happening right now, and so is what's going to happen in five seconds or five years or 500 years from now, the future. Everything is in your hand. You in Christ, everything is given to you. Delivered to you, presented to you, put on your plate, just like these guys are, these very servants are, given God uses them to build up the church. He's using everything else to build up the church too. Given to you to build you up. You own it in Christ. Even death. It's all at your service. All things given to us and worked by God for your good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's the second passage, the one you probably know. Romans 8, 28. Which things are worked together for good? All things. All. Something that's not true for those who are outside of Christ for those who are not his. This is a privilege given to you, Christian, in the gospel. God has done something marvelous 
when he took you and placed you in Christ, he then in your hand put everything else, put it right there for the building up of the church, which includes you. All of life, every situation, the hard ones, the painful ones, the sinful, evil ones too, he reigns over them, not making them good, but providentially doing good through them. Keep the R. Not even though them, but even through them. Doing good to you. As he understands doing good. He bends everything to your service. All of life is for you to build you up, to do good to you because He loves you and will bring about what is good and good for you. He cannot do less because He loves you too much. That must be thought about, understood, grabbed hold of. It is precious and sweet and you must think about that and then through faith, rest in the expectation then that what it means is that Everything that I'm standing in, up to my hips in, He has given to me to do good with for me. All things. That's what makes it possible to give thanks to Him in all things. You follow that. That is really important. It is not possible to give thanks in all things unless you understand that. That all things, this stuff included given into my hand for me. So put yourself, think of yourself to change the picture here. You're sitting at a table. The table's empty. And then in comes your father. Doesn't even look at you, just has something on the table in front of you and walks away. Comes back, puts something else on the table. You say, what is going on? That goes on. A few things come, a few things uh, pile up over here, a little a collection of, of books over there and, and a tool or two over here and a little bit of food over here. And you think, what's going on? And then he looks at you and he, and he just gives you a look and he smiles at you and then walks out, grabs something else and brings it back. And what commences there is an accumulation of goods. You can't figure out what the rhyme or reason. What, what, what is, how, how do these things relate to each other? Well, the only way that they relate to each other is they came from him and were brought to your table. They don't relate to each other. They relate to him and to you. And if he looks at you and says, I brought this for you. Take a look at that book. What of it? Well, look, read, read. I brought this tool to you. What of it? Well, you'll see. What's going on? Now, 
what I just did was I just built a little picture that probably in your mind is a little bit confusing because I didn't tie together all the ends. Isn't that how life is? What is going on? I don't know. But I do know this, that whatever he just described, there's an engaged father with a whole bunch of random things that he means to use. And he gave me a little look that reminded me for my good. I didn't get, and I didn't give you in the telling of the story, every line and all the answers. We never get every line and all the answers. Do you have enough of the lines and enough of the answers? Do you? I pray that you would be thinking in your minds right now, yes, so to speak, he has given me that look. He has engaged with me and said, try this. I don't, I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but it's for you. I brought it in here specifically and set it on your table for you. How can you trust me? Well, come on now. You know me, don't you? I pray that what's going through your minds right now is, I don't even understand that story. What is he talking about? But I do get the point. What he's talking about is a good father who has brought something to me to in some way work in my life to do good to me, even while I'm totally confused about it. That's what life is. We have no idea, no idea what's going on. But do you know who is going on? Do you? Yes, I pray you do. And that was going through my eyes. I don't get why this is up to here and why next week I think it's going to be up to here. I, I wish it wasn't so. I don't understand it. And I certainly don't understand how that relates to these other three things in my life on the table. But I know the Father. Do you? Then in faith, Christian, expect something from him. Expect what? He's going to rip you off? No! If he wanted to rip you off, he already had you. You were hosed completely before he sent his son. Were you not? If he wanted to get you, he already had you. But he's come to get you. And all things now, given through the Son to you, Christian, all things. And that means all things given through the Son to you, Christian, have been placed into your hands as the vehicles along which God does good to you here and now. So you look at this and you must expect, like the person sitting at the table would expect, I don't have any idea what's going on, but I, he's dealing with me somehow or another. He keeps bringing stuff to me. I'm the only one in the room. This is the only table here. He keeps bringing everything to me, setting it in front of me, and every now and then engaging with me. Try that. Look at this. He's dealing with me, and I know who he is. Even if I have no idea what's going on. 
So thank you, loving, gracious, kind Father, for dealing with me and doing good to me with all of these things, whatever they are. Christian, that is the posture of faith. That is a very reasonable, it is not a blind, foolish, ridiculous faith. It's a very reasonable faith towards that kind of Father who you know. So cast all your anxieties on Him then. He cares for you. And do not be anxious about all the stuff He puts on the table even when it makes no sense and even when it hurts. Lay your needs and requests before Him with thanksgiving and what glorious relief it is to actually be able to sit there and say thank you to actually realize whatever it is, what would be tragic for me would be for you, Father, to never walk back into this room and to leave me to my own devices, my own folly, my own holes, shortcomings, and failures, for me to make my own life as I can. That would be tragic because I'm a fool and I'm weak and I'm a sinner. But you come and you engage me with truth and you control all, reign over all, and you turn it all for my good. That is marvelous, that it's sweet and precious. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You work and I will rest. And in that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which what do you know is where that passage ends. You don't have to understand the story if you know him and what he's up to. So thirdly, we change pace and turn a little bit to help us to think about a few other things for which you can be thankful. Because that second point pushes us pushes us into a place of thinking about being thankful, particularly amidst confusion and particularly amidst, amidst things that are hard and difficult. But not all of life is like that. And sometimes we show our, our God insensitivity by being thankless in the midst of wonderful things. So I want to, now in this third point, I'm changing pace and moving to something a little bit different and saying, asking a question, what can I be thankful for? How should I think about Thanksgiving? Kind of like across the map. This is a slightly different direction here. Let me put it like this. How can I think through what there is to be thankful for in my life? The question assumes now at this point that I want to give thanks to God, but for what? How how can I think that through? So I just want to mention a few different kind of categories or, or paths that you could mentally walk down as you think about, I want to grow in thanksgiving and I want my heart to grow in the feeling of thankfulness. So what could I think about that might remind me of all the good things that God has brought? So, towards that end, start with this. 
Consider all of the past grace of God on your life. I already mentioned some of that. The fact that there is a world, that there is a planet, that it's sustained by Him, that we breathe on it, that the sun shines, that it rains, that things grow, that there's food, general common grace things. To not presume, but to give thanks for those things is appropriate and right. And sometimes it is very helpful for our hearts to realize everything I have is a gift. Thank you. But then take that a step further and consider the material blessings in particular that he has given you. Look back through your life and say, and there are particular moments. So generally, that jobs are. Particularly, that he gave me that one then. When I needed it. Or that was of this sort. That relationships are, generally then specifically, that he gave me this spouse, these children, these parents, these friends. You have a particular lot in life. What of God's kindness can you see in it? It's helpful to stop and think about that. It is very easy, just consider me, this is, I'm not giving away any secrets here because this is you too. It, it's very easy for me to grumble about my spouse. You, you too. So it's helpful to stop and think about, God gave this one to me. What of God's kindness and goodness can I see in that? And stop and think about it. How has this one been lined up with my weaknesses and my needs? How has God used this one brought to me to fill in holes, to sanctify me, to grow me, to meet just, just very tangible, physical, normal needs? How? Well, think about it. God did that. The good God gave that that spouse, those particular children, that particular job at that time, put you in this particular place, even here in Utah. Said it with a slight smile. <laughs> to stop and think about what of the goodness of God do I see in my, not just in the general provision of a, of a world, but in the particular lot that he has assigned me? None of it by coincidence. None of it just happened, but it was given to you from God. But then take that a step further and keep thinking about God's past grace, the general and the specific, and then when it immediately leaps to your mind, this probably did for some of us when I mentioned he gave you that spouse or those children and what easily immediately comes to mind, who did me wrong? When that comes to your mind and you consider in the specific lot in life given to me, there is hardship in that. Keep thinking about the grace of God in it and think along these lines. I had someone tell me this week that he was listening to a sermon 
I'm not sure when the sermon was originally preached, but a sermon preached sometime in the past where the preacher invited us to consider the fallen world from a different angle. Essentially, that fact that anything works. When you consider the failure, the hardship, and the pain, to turn that and say, the fact that I got up this morning and safely drove here should not be. And if you think about this, the general and then the specific and think that if there's any good in that, really, in a fallen, sin-cursed world, that there is any good, let alone most good, is a marvelous thing. Along these lines, I had a, a pastor tell us when our first child was born, he said, I have no idea if this, no way to know if this is true. So if you know and you can correct me or all of us generally, that's great. But he said that he'd read somewhere there are about 40,000 things that can go wrong in any pregnancy. And the fact that most of the time nothing goes wrong at all is a miracle. Now, technically, that's not a miracle. And I have no idea if 40,000 obviously is a round number. But do you get the point? The fact that the race still exists, and I know that many of us have dealt with miscarriages, have, have lost children, and that easily dominates our thinking, but the fact that that is a minority, that most of the time that doesn't happen, is amazing. Generally speaking, the past grace of God is marvelous. Specifically, my lot in life I can see the goodness in it. And then the fact that, thirdly, if I can see any goodness in my lot in life or any goodness at all in the general way the world works, that itself also is a testimony to the good gift of God to us and to me. But when we consider God's past grace, we need to take it even a step further than that. And we must follow Paul's lead and focus, thankfully, on the most important, most profound past grace of God in our lives. His saving and sanctifying work for us in Christ. And what we were talking about in the previous point. Paul will talk about being thankful for the provisions of life, being thankful for God's protection. But again and again and again and again and again, what dominates the thinking of Paul and should dominate the thinking of every Christian is that God has acted to reveal himself, to make a gospel, to choose a people, and bring them to himself by the gospel. Every single bit of that, a grace meeting the greatest, most profound need we can imagine. He puts this twice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, for instance. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, calling you to glory through the gospel. God chose these brothers to be saved, and that's why Paul gives thanks to God for them. 
And he says, I should always do that. I should think, whatever I think about, when I think about you, I should first and foremost give thanks to God for you because God chose you and brought you to glory in the gospel. That is amazing. Anything that follows after that is gravy. And there is, as I was just talking about, much that follows after that. But that is amazing that God saved you. And that God is at work in you, bringing all things to the table, even the ones you don't understand, to grow you up, to do good to you. That is amazing. That must dominate your thinking about yourself and about others around you, about the church in general. And believe me, there's plenty to complain about, about others around you and about the church in general. But what must dominate your thinking is that God has saved those who have no business being saved, like me. It's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. And he gave you a standing, a status with him that made you an heir. And as an heir has gained for you the punch code to God's checking account. You can walk up to any ATM and he will give you what you need, grace and mercy in your time of need. That's amazing. He calls you heir, son of a vast inheritance and has made it available to you to cover any need, any shortfall you have and is actively engaged to grow you up. That is amazing. So we can look back at the past, we can see particular, general and particular material things that God has done for us, and we look back at the past and see God revealing himself and God saving, and all of that means that right now, here at this moment, I can look in faith at the future, whether the future is right here, five seconds from now, or 500 centuries from now, from this point forward, God is doing you good. Awesome. Believe it for your own good. Give thanks for it. Be thankful in your heart like you want to be and give thanks like you should. Even now, at this very moment, he is at work to grow you. May you have eyes to see, as I said in the beginning, indeed, all glory belongs to God the Father. But may you have eyes to see for a moment, in a particular way, how radically, and I'm going to say this without the right context, it's heresy, but I just gave the right context, all glory to him, how radically you-centered God is. Do you understand why that's heresy if I didn't put the right context about it? Because he's not about you. He's about God. That being understood, oh my word! He's extremely, extremely concerned about you extremely, extremely committed to give 
all things into your hands and shape all of them to do good, to grow you up into the image of God and to deliver you, as Paul thanked God for in relation to the Thessalonians, to glory in the gospel. If that does not make you thankful, I don't know what else to say. May you see his grace graciously at work to make you a friend and an heir of a gracious king. The grace that he has then given you eyes to see it and understand it and to see him for who he is. To see him in his concern for you and in his concern for you to show how good and glorious he is and draw praise from you towards him. For all of that we can thankfully and should rightly give thanks. He calls us to live lives of thanksgiving and has made it possible, sweetly possible in the gospel. Let me pray. Lord, open our eyes to see you, to revel in you and to give thanks for you. And to rest that you are in charge of our lives and you have bent everything that we face for glory and good and love. Thank you for loving your people. Grow us in thankfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.